0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Fighting Coronavirus from American Innovations ad free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: From Wondery, I'm Stephen Johnson, and this is Fighting Coronavirus. Many countries around the world, especially the United States, this summer has been a genuinely dismal one. But one semi-bright spot in this coronavirus saga is that there is a collective effort among the world's top scientists to bring a vaccine into existence. Currently, there are 30 vaccines in clinical trials on humans, and a few have reached the critical milestone of phase 3 trials. The coronavirus has put our lives on pause. But it's also sped up the science behind vaccines. So how long will it take to get a vaccine that can be released to the general public? What's the best case, worst case timeline? And what the hell is up with Russia? To answer those questions, we're talking to Carl Zimmer, who's been following the vaccine race for the New York Times. He's also the author of many terrific books about science. Most recently, She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Power, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. Carl Zimmer, welcome to Fighting Coronavirus. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you on the show. We wanted to do a a look at the current state of vaccine development right now. And you are just the ideal guest. One, you're one of the greatest science writers I know. And you've been covering this extensively since really the beginning of the pandemic. I wanted to just start with your broad overview of kind of where we are six, seven months into the development of these vaccines. What's the state of the field right now?
0: Well, you know, in the history of vaccines, this is unprecedented. We have about 30 vaccines now in clinical trials on people for this one disease, which we didn't even know about basically until January. There are seven vaccines specifically for COVID-19 that are actually in phase three trials, where you have large-scale trials to actually see if the thing works. Things are moving forward at a pretty amazing clip. We don't know if these vaccines will actually work yet, but there's certainly reason to be optimistic. We do have to be aware that there are going to be side effects, and we need to figure out just how safe these things are going to be. But that's also going to be emerging out of these latest trials. Just for
1: our listeners to understand the context here, what would be the normal timeline historically over the last 20 years in terms of vaccine development?
0: On average, a vaccine can take over a decade wow. to go from its initial design through all the testing on animals and then people. I think the record was four years, and that was for months in the 1960s. So for a lot of different reasons, uh, what's happening now is just uh, just an incredible acceleration of the standard vaccine process.
1: One thing I've, it's occurred to me is that this is both a... A triumph so far, hopefully, of vaccine development, but it's also a watershed moment in terms of genetics and genomic science, right? Because we had a sequence for the virus distributed around the world within just a matter of weeks after it was first identified. That's part of this story, right?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, people may not see the connection between having a genome sequence and a vaccine, but it's actually quite intimate. What happened was that a group of Chinese virologists, collaborating with some folks in Australia and elsewhere, took these early samples of the virus and pulled out genetic material and then essentially pieced together the genome of this new coronavirus after some delays, which, you know, I'm sure future reporting will shed light on, they just decided to just throw it online. I mean, they actually posted on a group blog for scientists actually (laughs) called (laughs) virological.org. And they just said, hey, here's the genome. And, you know, like genomes of viruses are not big. This one's about 30,000 letters long. And I talked to vaccine makers and I kept hearing the same story, which is that the night of January 10th, Everybody started saying like, oh my gosh, did you know, did you see, did you see, like it's out, the genome, you can get it. And so people in the middle of the night would download it and just start looking at it and talking to each other about it. And it was clear that if you wanted to make a vaccine, you wanted to go after one particular protein called spike, and that covers the outer surface of the virus. We knew from coronaviruses before that that was a good thing to go after. So people just said, like, let's find the spike protein in the genome. Let's find that gene for it. Once we have that sequence, we can start to make vaccines in our particular way. And so some people said, like, all right, let's make we're going to make a DNA-based vaccine where we're going to put a piece of DNA into a little bubble and deliver it into people's cells. And other people said, okay, we're going to make messenger RNA and we're we're going to throw that in people's cells. Other people said, we're going to take that gene and load it into another virus and that virus will get into people's cells. Like people got to work on these kinds of things right away, literally like Friday night, got the genome, Monday morning, walk into your lab and say, let's get to work.
1: That's amazing. I love the idea also of this dropping in the middle of the night, like the rest of the world Is like oh the new Taylor Swift Beyonce album just dropped last night let's download that but in the virology community it's like oh wow we got the genome sequence for the
0: coronavirus (laughs) yeah and think about that that was January tenth like I suspect that you were not thinking that much about this coronavirus on January tenth few of us were I mean I, I remember like reading a few articles at that point being like well that doesn't sound good but You know, like we had been through this with MERS, for example, or SARS, where like, you know, it would, someone would flare up and then it would kind of burn out and that would be that. I mean, it's not a good thing, but it felt very distant. But there were a bunch of scientists, even then, who were like saying like, I got a bad feeling about this. This thing is new and it's spreading really fast. And a vaccine would be a really nice thing Hmm. to have, just at least for the people in that part of China, if not elsewhere
1: an amazing story. So you mentioned one particular approach there, the mRNA approach that the Moderna vaccine is using. I believe it was the first to go to phase three trials, if not one of the first. And that is a really new approach to making vaccines. So can
0: you tell us a little bit about how that actually works and how it's different from a traditional approach? Kind of a classical approach might be, say, uh, Jonas Salk's polio vaccine. And Salk and others, what they decided to do was to use chemicals to essentially weaken or kill a poliovirus, and then you inject that into people. Your immune system encounters the virus floating around and then makes antibodies to it, and then those antibodies are ready to fight when the live poliovirus comes in. In the case of uh, Moderna's vaccine, what they would do is they took advantage of the fact that our own cells can make proteins— you give them instructions, they make proteins. I mean, that's how they make new viruses. You know, they just, they get hacked. So what they said was like, all right, we know that in order to make a protein, you have your your DNA gene, and then you copy that into RNA, and then that gets used to make protein. So let's just create the messenger RNA sequence for this spike protein on the virus. And then let's uh, let's go from there. So in some ways, the the Moderna approach
1: is kind of a software-like approach in a sense. Instead of actually getting the physical virus and disabling it somehow, you're just getting a little bit of code from the original virus and inserting that into our bodies, which is an incredible potential breakthrough. And Does it feel like it's actually
0: working? Well, one important thing to bear in mind is that these genetic vaccines, you can call them. There are no approved vaccines for humans for them yet, at all, anywhere. There is one that's been approved uh, for horses, actually. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of vaccines that are in clinical trials for a number of human diseases. So people have been looking at this kind of approach, this overall approach, for years. And there's some reason to be hopeful about them. They're versatile and quick. Because rather than dealing with actual uh, live viruses that you then kill and then very carefully put into vials and ensuring there are no live viruses in there, you just look at the code, look at the sequence, identify that part that you want, and then load that into your vaccine and basically get people's cells to do the work. But not only have these things not been licensed for humans yet... But, uh, you know, whatever vaccine we're going to use, we want to be able to make a lot of them fast. And that whole manufacturing side of things is completely new ground when it comes to genetic vaccines. Can we make enough of that DNA or messenger RNA for billions of people? I don't know.
1: Speaking of accelerated timetables and fast tracking, the news this week was that Russia was ready to release a vaccine for general use, uh, far exceeding anybody else's timetable and raising a lot of eyebrows around the world. Uh, What the hell is going on there? (laughs)
0: It's hard to tell from the outside what the hell is going on there. (laughs) I became aware of the Russian efforts because they actually registered one of their vaccines um, on a website called clinicaltrials.gov. It's run by the National Institutes of Health of the United States, but it's sort of become a global database for all vaccine trials and, and lots of other drug trials. Back in July, I said, oh, Russia's getting in the game. That's interesting. Uh, It was kind of an unusual vaccine they were describing that they would do. It was based on a virus that carries a gene. Again, like pretty much uncharted territory. So I just thought, well, that's something to keep track of. And then suddenly, uh, Russian government officials, within a few weeks, were saying, like, we are going to be putting this into industrial manufacturing in in a few months. We're going to be giving it to everybody. And I was like, what's going on? I mean, like, they haven't even reported the results of their phase one trials. And then Putin suddenly declares that they've approved the vaccine. People are going to be getting this vaccine in in a matter of weeks. I called up a bunch of public health and vaccine experts and said, what do you think? And they were just totally terrified that they were doing this without any evidence yet that it actually works. As far as anyone can tell, it just seems like pure politics and could be potentially endangering people's health. They rebranded, renamed it Sputnik 5. So it's all about nationalism, which is really like the last thing you want to get into this vaccine situation.
3: Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like. All at the same time. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy.
4: Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money.
1: So we mentioned these stages of the trials, and, and the big milestone is that they've gone into what are called phase three trials, which are much broader. Those, by definition, take time. They just give people a vaccine and let them wander around in the world and see if any of them develop COVID. Is there a way to accelerate that timetable that is ethical, or are we inevitably locked into multiple months of waiting to see the returns on this experiment?
0: I think that we can't cut corners on safety and efficacy. I think you know, we are already breaking records left and right when it comes to vaccine development. I think we need to be willing to let the scientific process work the way it's supposed to work. Clearly, the clock is ticking. You know, in the United States alone, over a thousand people are dying every day. So what some people have proposed is what's called a challenge trial. And this is actually something that is done on a regular basis for other diseases like influenza. In order to create a new flu vaccine, what people may do is they may actually vaccinate several hundred people and then intentionally give them the flu and then wait and see what happens. Now, there are treatments for the flu. That makes challenge trials uh, ethically acceptable. The debate now is whether we should be doing challenge trials for COVID-19. You know, there are leading scientists, epidemiologists, and who are in favor of it. There are also a lot of uh, scientists and biothesists who are arguing against it. Their point is, there is not really a good treatment for COVID-19 yet. Also, we don't know what like the long-term impacts are of COVID-19. You know, there are hints that for some people, there could be months, years, or a lifetime of damage. So is it ethical to intentionally give people this virus at this point to find out the vaccine works? It's it's a tough question.
1: It's a fascinating ethical question, because if it does work and you accelerate the timetable 30 days, just in the United States alone, you're, you know, a thousand people are dying a day. So if you intentionally give people COVID-19 to do these challenge trials and say, even- 50 of them end up dying, tragically, but you save 30,000 lives on the other end of it. That's the argument. right? So let's now think, we get through phase three, hopefully a number of candidates emerge that are actually officially approved and we want to then get them to scale. What's your sense of the kind of production side of this? And are there unexpected supply chain constraints here? I mean, I was talking to Bruce Gellin, who's at the Salk Institute and was the vaccine czar for Obama and Bush, he's talking about just the production of the little glass vials that that's if you're going to make a billion of these things in a couple of months, hopefully, do we have enough manufacturing capacity just to make the container?
0: Yeah, you are putting the whole vaccine making process to uh, an incredible stress test. And certainly there have been a lot of deals that people have been making with the people who make those glass vials. There have been thoughts about, well, are there ways that we can sort of pack multiple doses in a single vial? There might be potentially vaccines that take less packaging. In addition to the genetic material or an inactivated virus or, you know, or the other sort of uh, main part of the vaccine, a lot of these vaccines contain what's called an adjuvant, which is basically a chemical that sort of gooses up the immune system so that it responds more intensely to this viral cue. And so those have to be manufactured in huge amounts. And there are special companies like Dynavax, GSK, that are ramping up production of these adjuvants for a number of different vaccine makers. So it's going to take a huge amount of coordination to make this work. And the challenges within a wealthy country like the United States are going to be big enough. But, you know, there are billions of people who are going to need this vaccine. And so there are organizations trying to work out the supply chain issues and distribution to get it all the way from these factories to countries all over the world that may not have a big medical infrastructure to handle it.
1: Just keeping this conversation to the United States for clarity's sake, if you were in charge, how would you manage the rollout of the vaccine in terms of who gets it first? Mm. What's the smartest way to do that?
0: I think you start with healthcare workers. You know They are at risk because they are exposed to people, but also they can become super spreaders because... Yeah. They're dealing with lots of people in interior spaces all the time. You can get a big bang for your buck if you take that first batch of vaccines and give them to healthcare workers, maybe also nursing care workers, too, people who are in nursing homes.
1: Fauci has been saying that he expects a COVID vaccine to be about 50 to 60% effective. Is that sufficient then to
0: really make a difference in terms of the overall spread of the disease in the United States? It depends on a lot of different variables. We know something about this virus, but there are a lot of things we're still figuring out. So, you know, we don't know to what extent some people are already protected against the virus because they might have been, say, exposed to other coronaviruses in the past, and there's enough cross-protection that they're okay. That makes a big difference in terms of how the society as a whole responds in terms of what people call herd immunity. And basically, the goal with vaccines, one of the goals, in addition to protecting individual people, is to get society as a whole to a level of herd immunity where it's just really hard for the virus to get from person to person. And if there is some existing immunity, that makes getting to herd immunity easier uh, with yeah. vaccines.
1: Crystal ball time. Give me kind of three quick scenarios, optimistic but plausible scenario, the realistic most likely scenario, and then the pessimistic scenario that you're most worried about? Where are we in in a year, year and a half?
0: Let's start with the pessimistic one, because like, <laughs> 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 let's get that one out of the way. It's, all right? it's 2020. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so the pessimistic one is that these vaccines all turn out to be not what we had hoped. There turn out to be all sorts of unexpected problems with them, Turns out that protecting against this particular virus, you know, a piece of RNA is not going to cut it, uh, and so on and so forth. And we're still sort of floundering a year or two from now trying to get a vaccine program off the ground. I'm not ruling that out. That could happen. I think a realistic idea, I think that by the summer, we've got large-scale vaccination going on with vaccines that are good. Mm -hmm. Maybe more than 50% effective, actually. Right. But that you will need probably a booster. Like, you know, maybe in a year you're going to have to go back to get another shot. The super optimistic version would be that AstraZeneca, which is using a viral vector vaccine that was created at the University of Oxford, they have hinted that they could start making the vaccine as early as October if the trials that are currently underway turn out to be good. I think everything would have to line up exquisitely well for that to turn out, but that's a possibility. And there are a lot of these vaccine makers who have factories already like geared up and ready to go or already going in making this vaccine by the millions. They're making them even though they don't know if they're going to work or not. If we could get that whole uh, supply chain issue and the distribution kinks worked out, it's conceivable that before the end of 2020, there would start to be healthcare workers starting to get vaccinated on a large scale. Super optimistic. I would be thinking maybe in the summer, there would be large-scale vaccination with vaccines that work pretty well, and then the year after, there'll be a wave of vaccines that work even better.
1: Well, it's nice to have some... Glimmer of optimism to cling to, even if we want to be realistic about it.
0: Look, here's how I think about it. Right now, I'm a long term optimist and a short term pessimist in the sense that, like, in the long term, we're going to get out of this with a vaccine. Yeah. And it could be as soon as this coming summer, but that's a year from now. This is going to be a long, hard year. This winter is going to be brutal. And the only thing that's going to keep deaths down is for people to put up with real deprivation, continuing social isolation. We're going to have huge economic problems. We're not going to have a vaccine to save us from this winter, but we will have a vaccine in the summer. Carl Zimmer,
1: thank you so much for all your insights. We appreciate it, and let's continue this conversation uh, in a couple of months, and we'll see where we are.
0: Yeah, we'll see which scenario is looking good.
1: From Wondery, this is fighting coronavirus. And just a reminder, we're now publishing Fighting Coronavirus every three weeks. Our next episode is September 8th, and we'd love to know what topics you'd like us to discuss. Email us at fightingcorona at wondery.com. That's fightingcorona at wondery.com. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app and listen ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. This series is hosted and produced by me, Stephen Johnson. It's also produced by Natalie Shisha and Michelle Lanz. Sound design by Jake Gorski. Executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman, Marshall Louis, and Hernan Lopez for Wondering.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Fighting Coronavirus from American Innovations ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.